Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. My name is Damian. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, we get to, I get to spend the next few minutes with you as we're, we're walking through 1 John. And if this is your first time with us, we welcome you. And you might be thinking, you know, wow, what have I missed? Am I, am I jumping in the middle of something? Not really. We're only a few weeks into this. And we are trusting that the timing of you being here, for all of us being here today, um, the Lord has something for us specifically in the passage that we're going to look at. Um, If you are in need of a Bible, our ushers are ready to put one in your hands. If you just lift your hand up, they will go ahead and give one to you. And if you are in need of a Bible to have, in other words, you don't possess one, then please receive this as our gift, okay? So, We've, we're, we're three weeks in, and just to kind of do, I'm going to do this as quick as I can to just give you just a, a quick recap of where we've been. We started out in chapter one, and our pastors, Ben and Pat, they walked us through and helped us see that our common, our common understanding of Jesus is the foundation of our community. And also, and I know this is something we all know, but it's always good to just be reminded of this, is that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And then the next week after that, Pastor Scott, he did a, he called an audible and he kind of jumped ahead into chapter two a little ways because we were focusing on um, Dr. King's birthday and he walked us through the same test that John gave to the church he was writing to. And And the test was to see if we were walking in the light of Jesus. And he did it focused on this specific question. Do you hate your brother? And that was a question that came with a certain amount of weight to it. That wasn't one of those that you could just sit there and go, oh, no, I didn't. And I really want to encourage you because of of his teaching and just helping us understand what the word hate meant as translated in the Greek. If you haven't seen that, I want to encourage you to go back and watch that and then walk yourself through your answer on that question, do you hate your brother? And then last week we had our brother Thomas who Uh, He preached with us for the first time, and he was in the earlier part of uh, that very first part of chapter 2. And he helped us actually see what the the true depth of what it is that Jesus did when he gave his life for our sin. Because Jesus became our advocate, meaning that when we sin, it is Jesus that stands before the Father to answer for our sin and not us. And what a blessing that is. Amen. All right. So today, church, we're going to be just a little further in to 2 John, excuse me, to 1 John. And our title today is Do Not Love the World. And this is, this is going to be one of those, this is, this is going to be a little bit of some heavy teaching here. Uh, John is going to get straight into some stuff. But before he does that, and before we get there, starting at verse 15, um, we're going to actually back up to verses 12 through 14. And I think this is going to be important for us because John does something that I think is really interesting in the light of what's going on in the sports world right now. It's like like John calls together a team meeting, okay? And he's about to do some coaching. 
Now, I don't know if there's, there's some of you who are going to be fully aware of what's happening in the greater football world, but there's some things that did some huge, there's some, some huge shaking up that went down just a few weeks ago because two of the greatest coaches in the history of football, that's professional football and college football, they are no longer employed. Okay, now see, you see pictures of him here, right here. The guy that's on the left there, Nick Saban, he was at the University of Alabama. And while he was there, the number of years he was there, he won seven national championships. It was crazy. It was like every year, all we heard was Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. It got to the point we just took off the ala. It was just Bama, 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 Bama. Because they were that good and they earned it. And then that other guy standing next to him, I think most of us know him here. His name is Bill Belichick. For you Seahawks fans, I know you don't particularly care for that particular picture right there. I understand. But while he was with the New England Patriots, he won six Super Bowl titles. Six of them, okay? It's crazy just how successful he was. Now, now what's interesting about these guys is that both of them are in their 70s, all right? So these aren't spring chickens right here. And these coaches have a reputation that during game time, okay, they can be seen. You can put cameras on them and they can be seen as intense and kind of snarly and mean and, you know, a little gruff and, and kind of domineering. But for them, they felt like, listen, this is what we need to do when the moments arise because we've been practicing all week and working on things, but we get into the game, we've got to make sure that these men follow what it is our game plan is, okay? As, as one particular coach would say, get out there and do your job. Just get out there and do your job. And sometimes they had to kind of snap at these players and get in their faces. But now here's what's interesting. Off the field, both of these guys have a reputation for being some of the nicest and kindest and most hospitable people you could meet. They're, they're also, they're known for and respected for their knowledge of the game. They just like to sit and talk football, X's and O's and plays and blitzes and different things like that. And they can sit and do that for hours because they love the game. Now, why do I bring these guys up when it comes in relation to John? Well, see, many of you are familiar with John as his gospel that he wrote, you know, for the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Well, that John that wrote the gospel back then, that was young John, okay? This John in 1 John, this is older John. This is John that might be a little more reflective of the guys you see on the screen right here, okay? They've been, it, John's been doing this for a while now. John's been teaching and he's been traveling and the Lord has taken him places and John has seen some things, and so now when he writes a letter, now when he's trying to communicate, he doesn't really have time for niceties. He needs to get to it. He needs to communicate things. So he's pretty direct. And so he kind of sounds like, you know, you get to feel like he's an old coach in this first section we're about to look at. And so if you were, open up your Bibles, let's take a look at, I will have it on the screen so we can read this together, starting at verse 12. Here's what John says. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children, because you know the father. I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you are strong. 
and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Can you just kind of picture that John's gathering together. He's like, come on, get together here, get together here. I want to coach you up a little bit. There's some things I need to remind you of. He's talking to children, he's talking to fathers, he's talking to young men. Here's why. Let's just walk through each of those. When he refers to children, um, while there were those who were young in their faith, this was a term of endearment, meaning he's talking to everybody. He's talking to everybody who's a part of this church community. He's being as inclusive as he can. Why? Because these people were beloved by God and beloved by John. He loved these people. They were special to him. And when he's talking to the fathers, he's speaking to them because, yeah, you are more mature mature in your faith and because you are older in your years. You see, he's talking to them and referring to them in this way because he understands that they've moved past that original joy of their salvation, that moment of understanding, mom, my sins are forgiven, hallelujah. And they just can't wait to tell everybody and everything is good. But when you continue to live life and you begin to see celebrations, but then you also see times of grieving and you've seen wonderful triumphs and you've seen some just, just some horrible losses. And when you go through that kind of life and you see how God is faithful through these things and through these seasons and these moments, they had a faith that was, you, I, I, one, one particular commentary, he said that their faith was ripened. Or maybe a better word is that their faith was mature. Uh, that ripened thing, that kind of stuck with me. This is why. See, I'm, I'm one of those that I, I don't like to buy all kinds of fruit. There's certain fruit I like to have. And one of them is those, it's those bijou pears that they sell at Costco that comes in the bag. Now, if you took one of those pears out, you're going to go to the dentist pretty quick if you tried to bite into those. Those things are practically stones. And so what do you have to do? You have to take them home. You had to set them someplace, out of the way, room temperature, and those pears just have to sit there. You can try and hurry them up all you want. You just have to sit there. And in like three, four, five days, all of a sudden you reach over and you squeeze one, and it's like, oh, here we go. Here we go. And now you're talking about a piece of fruit that's ready to be eaten. And that's the way it is with our faith. Our faith can't be rushed in season, in, in and out of season, and we stay just with our God and walking with him, and our faith matures and our faith ripens. And that's what he's talking about with both these fathers. And he tells them, reminds them, you know him who is from the beginning. And who is that him? It is God. It is the eternal and immutable God. The eternal God, we find that actually the writer in Psalms describes him this way in Psalm 90. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. We just sang that. He said, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is eternal and he is immutable. You, that's probably not a word you hear a whole lot. But in Malachi chapter 3, God actually says, for I am the Lord, uh, for I, the Lord, excuse me, do not change. And that's what being immutable is. It means he doesn't change. He doesn't change. We change. Stuff changes. He doesn't. And he's, when someone, so when he says to you, you know him who's from the beginning, he's talking about that eternal and immutable God. And then he's talking to the young men. 
He says, look, you're not as mature as your fathers, okay? But, but you are younger in years, and, and, and that's a benefit to you because you were strong. Not because of your physical strength, but you were strong because the word of God abides in you. And because that word abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. And so he's reminding children, fathers, young men, remember who you are. Remember who you are. And so he's getting them coached up and he's getting them ready because he's about to do some real specific teaching to them. So now before we jump to verse 15 and jump into the meat of what we're going to get into, there's one particular phrase that I want to make sure that we have clarity on because we're going to hear it, this particular reference. We're going to hear it a few times. And that, 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 that reference is the world. And so let's make sure that we answer the question, what is the world when John is talking about it? Now, there's a few biblical references um, throughout Scripture that, that's, that's fairly consistent. One of those references is when they talk about the world, they're talking about creation. They're talking about everything that God made, okay? Living things, the skies, the seas, the mountains, this whole thing that we call the earth. Another reference is actually, it is just amazing just how simple it is, but how beautiful it is. When Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 16, he said, for God so loved the world. And who is the world? It's us. It's all mankind. Okay? So that's another reference. But the reference that John is going to be using here in this text, unfortunately, it isn't that positive. It isn't at all. As a matter of fact, here's one reference that I found. And this definition really stuck with me, and I'm going to share it with you today. The world is, it's basically the worldly values or attitudes that are opposed to God. The worldly values or attitudes that are in opposition of God. Okay? So I want you to understand that that's the definition of the world when John starts teaching. And now it's time for him to start teaching. Here we go, church. We're going to be in verse 15. We're going to go one verse at a time. John writes, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All right. So what is John saying here? He's basically saying you can't have it both ways. All right. Let's see. Now, before we get into those, what are the things of the world, okay, let's make sure that we deal with this first part, which is if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, you might say this morning, so is, Damien, is everything in the world, is it, is it not of God and we shouldn't have anything to do with it? No. No, there's, there's lots of things in the world that we use, we use already today. Cars to get here. Houses that we slept in, clothes that we put on this morning, hopefully all clean and fresh, food that we've eaten now or will eat later, things even like influence and position and authority. See, those things are not corrupt or bad in themselves, but make sure that we understand the qualifying phrase. He says, if anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. 
Now, I want to take a moment right here, and I just want to introduce a, a, a different voice. Now, I, I kind of went a little back and forth on this because of who this particular voice is. But I thought, nope, Holy Spirit, you kind of put this out there in front of me, so let's go ahead and walk this out. And this other voice happens to be the Apostle James. Now, why would I go to James? Well, James and John happen to be brothers. If you go back and remember in the gospel, these are the sons of Zebedee. I think if this was a Western, they'd probably call them the Zebedee boys. Okay? And one of the things that you begin to notice as you see John here in 1 John and when you read James is that there's some similarities with these fellows. The interesting part is that John's the nice one. James, yeah, it's almost like he's trying to hurt you. He's looking to beat you up a little bit. He's telling you, get your gloves on, get your hands up because it's coming, all right? But he does it for a purpose. And it's for a reason. So, if you want to turn to James chapter 4, we're going to be starting verses 1 through 4. And James addresses the dangers of being in relationship with the world. Now, before I jump into this, there is a phrase that James states in here. And I've learned that it's probably one of the more cherry-picked phrases in Scripture that I've ever seen. And this just kind of came to the surface to me. And the phrase is this, and I'm going to let you finish it off. You do not have because you do not. Mm. Now, how many of us can say what is it that James says before he says that and after he says that? It's right in the middle of of a teaching he's trying to say. Well, guess what? We're going to take a look at that. Here we go. Starting with verse 1. James says, what causes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, and that is a key word. We're going to come back and hang on to that in just a second. That your passions are at war within you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Now, some of you might be saying, hey, I'm not a murderer. I ain't mur- mur- murder nobody. That's a good thing. All right. Thumbs up to you. You haven't murdered anybody. All right. Just one. You just. There's no such thing as a good murder. All right. Okay. Here we go. But let's continue. He's not done. You do not have, um, because excuse me. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And then here we go. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your. And there's that word again passions. And now James, he gets into a little bit of name calling, but I think you get where he's going here. You adulterous people. Now, what does he mean by that? He means you unfaithful, cheating, no good people. (laughs) He's He's making it very, very clear here. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? Okay, Pat. I know, Pat Lassard, you're watching right now, and I didn't get that word right. I tried, bro. There it is. All right. That, 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 <laughs> that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Church, love of the world 
and love of God cannot exist in the same space. I know a lot of us want to do the coexisting thing. We want to have a little bit of the world and we want to have a little bit of God. That is not the God we serve. Listen, we're going to do the math here and we're just going to make this as simple as possible for you. Here it is. Friendship of of world equals enemy of God. There, there, There it is. Friendship of the world equals enemy of God. And if that feels harsh, well, understand that God, God doesn't share. We serve a jealous God. Right off the bat, he said, you will have no other gods before me. That is the same God. When he spoke those words to Moses, that is the same God we serve today. If this, this is what James is trying to help us understand. If this is the friendship you want, then this is the enemy you will create. If this is the friendship you want with the world, then God will be the enemy you make. All right. Now we're going to hop back into 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to take a look at verse 16, and we're going to ask, answer this question. So what's really out there? These things. I said earlier we were going to come back, and we we're going to circle back, and we're going to get to these things of the world. Let's talk about these things. So what's really out there? What, is we, what are we talking about? Well, in verse 16, John says this. He says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, what is interesting about that, if these are the things of the world that are out there, and they're not really out there, are they? They're in here. So, desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life. When I hear the word desires, you know where it just kind of takes me back to? It just kind of reminds me of that word that James used, passions. These desires, they're a thing. It's real. This pride, it's a thing. It's real. It was real back then thousands of years ago, and it's real still today. You know, in Jesus's ministry, he came across a few individuals Now, when it came time for them to make a choice between choosing him or choosing the things of the world, it became a deal breaker for them. In Matthew chapter 19 is probably one of the more well-known ones. I'm just going to share the story real quick just in case there's somebody here who doesn't know this story. But there's a young man that runs up to Jesus. And he gets on his knees before him and he says, good teacher. I have obeyed everything in the law. And the law that he's talking about is the Ten Commandments, the Mosaic Law. I've obeyed it all. What else is there for me to do? And Jesus goes, this is good. And he actually does a quick little, you know, just a little, little, little summary of the Ten Commandments. You've honored your mother and father. You've kept no other gods before the Lord your God. You've, and he goes through a thing. He goes, he goes, good. He goes, now, go sell everything that you have and come and follow me. 
One particular gospel says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, the young man turns around and he walks away disappointed, not because he was supposed to give it to the poor. That wasn't the problem. The problem was is that he was told to sell everything he had because, and this is what scripture says if you read it, he says he had great possessions. There it was. Jesus said, you can choose me or you can choose what you have. And he chose what he had. And none of these things, none of these desires, none of this pride, none of this is of God. Absolutely none of it. I thought it would be good for us today if we just took a moment and looked at this scripture through a couple of different translations. One of those translations is the Amplified translation, and I just thought the words here could be helpful for us today. And this is what it says. For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh, the lust and longing of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And they actually give a definition of what is the boastful pride of life. And I love this. It reads, the pretentious confidence in one's resources or in the stability of earthly things. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world. The pretentious confidence in one's resources. It's almost like saying, look at, look at what I've built. Look at what I've created. Look at what I can do. Look at me. And then I want us to take a look at that same verse, but through the translation of the message. When Eugene Peterson, when he did this translation, it was for the purpose of there being just common vernacular for us, common language for us. So when we read this, we don't have to have somebody explain it to us. You get it when you read it. And this is what the message reads. It says, practically everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from him. Mm. Boy, but there's nothing there that you have to look at and go, Damien, can you explain that further? No, it's pretty straight ahead, isn't it? All right. So church, now that we have looked at the fact that we can't have it both ways. It's, it's either the love of the world or the love of God. And now we have this understanding of the things in the world that we are called not to love either. Now, John gives us one more piece of teaching, and it's this. In verse 17, he says, And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Mm. So, now I'm one of those people that when I go shopping for food, especially if I'm in the dairy section, uh, I'll go through every single container I can to find the one ex expiration date that is the furthest out. I'm that guy. If I can look back on that milk shelf and I can see... <laughs> 
that there's a 217, but there's a 218 right behind it. Here I go reaching. I go to Costco, you know, the spring mixes that come in the, I'm like, hey, you want one that's one more day out? It's down here at the bottom. You want one? And I'll start passing them out to people. I'm that guy. But the reality is these things, they're actually, there's a reference for them. They're called perishables. And the reality is, is that at one point, they're going to perish. Church John is letting us know here today that this world has an expiration date. And I am so thankful for that. I wish I knew what the date was, but that's none of my business. Jesus said, the only one who knows is my father. But here's the thing. He, he actually, he's giving us hope because in doing this, he's letting us know, hey, this world, is, it's, it's passing away. He even says that even the desires of this world are passing away. And it's happening because darkness is leaving and the light has come. That light is Jesus and he's shining right now, even as we speak. And all those who lust, all those who desire, who are passionate for the things of this world, John says they're going to pass away as well. But who will remain? Who's going to endure? Who's going to be left? And John is very simply simple in his answer and very direct. It is the ones who do the will of God. And church, here is the beauty of what it means to be a part of a faith community, of a church. You get to ask out loud if you wanted to. If you want to, you can. But you get to ask this question. So what is the will of God? And I want you to understand, if you're asking that question this morning, amen. I'm glad you're with us. I'm glad we get to walk this stuff out together as opposed to alone. The will of God is this. I'm going to use the words of Jesus. Won't be on the screen. Let me share this with you. It's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 40, if you want to write that reference down. But this is what Jesus says. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Amen? Boy, that sounds like that might be complicated, but it's not. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Believe in him. Follow him. Know him. Love him. Obey him. Here it is. That is the will of God. And through, those, through being obedient to the will of God, it says we will endure. We will be eternal. So church, where do we go with this? Three verses, boy, each one just felt like it was just a, a left, right, left. Just bam, bam, bam. What are our next steps? Can I ask a question today? When it comes to the things of the world that you realize today, as we just went through these, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life, and you realize today that one, two, maybe all three are present in your life this morning. What are you willing to release? Now that you understand that God has made it very clear, you can't have the world and have me. So what's it going to be? What are you willing to release today? What are you willing to open your hands and let go?
of. And then allow the love of God to come in and claim that space in your heart. And you might be sitting here this morning, you might be saying, uh, Damien, uh-uh. God won't forgive what I've done. You don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't. But can I share just a quick story with you? There's this guy back in the Old Testament, his name is David. We spent quite a bit of time last year just following his life. He's king of Israel at this point. And one day he sees a woman who is bathing and he finds her attractive. Desire of the eyes. And because he's king, he desires to be with her. And because he's king and he can do it, he spends time with her intimately. Desires of the flesh. And as a result of him doing that, she's with child. And the real big problem is she's also married. And David creates an entire plan to put her husband to death. Because he's king and he can. Pride of life. And then David is confronted by the prophets, Nathan, who, if I'm just going to use Damien words here today, what have you done? Oh my gosh, you are disgusting because you know better. You know the Lord your God is angry with you. And when David is confronted in this, David repents. And he's, he asks and begs God for forgiveness. He actually writes an entire psalm where he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Please don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me. And if God can forgive, if God can restore David, who did what he did, can he not forgive and restore you? The answer is yes. Because the blood of Jesus does this amazing thing every moment of every day when it comes to our sin. He forgives all of it. All of it. All of it. So church, today could be the day, can be the day, I pray is the day that you can give your life to Jesus, that you can begin to build your life on the foundation of Jesus Christ, who, according to the words of young John, in chapter 14, verse 6, says that he is the way, he is the truth, he is the light. No one comes to the Father but through him. And to be with the Father means no, no to the world. Do not love the world. Do not love Choose Jesus. Choose the Father. Choose his will. 
Abide in him. Would you pray with me?